appreciate your presence this morning, as Steve has pointed out, and if you're visiting with us, you're truly our honored guest. We're glad to have you with us. Hope you'll come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We have just concluded a, a great gospel meeting with a great speaker, Brother Roger Campbell, who did just a beautiful job in his presentation, so clear, so powerful in every lesson, the theme being the greatest. And he concluded with the greatest family in the world, the greatest family in the world. We're going to pick up on that a little bit and review something that was sung by the congregation here who were present on that night when Brother Steve Pell Jr., who did such a fine job in leading our singing during the meeting, led us in a song entitled God's Family. And as I mentioned in Bible class this morning, we, we studied about singing, the importance of singing, the vital aspect that it is in our worship to God, and Tommy will be continuing that theme in another lesson on that same subject on Wednesday night. But our lesson this morning will not only remind us of how important it is to think about and concentrate on the words that we sing in our song, but in this song in particular, there is so much about the family of God and what the family of God should be and how appreciative we should be to be a part of the family of God that needs to be emphasized. It is beautifully expressed in this hymn. And so we're just going to put it on the screen and let that serve as our outline for the sermon from song today about God's family. A hymn that begins, we're part of the family that's been born again. Oh, we could, we could do an entire sermon uh, on this one phrase of this beautiful, beautiful hymn. We're part of the family that's been born again. Family, as Brother Roger pointed out to us, has a very pleasant connotation, generally speaking. When we think of family, it connotes very pleasant thoughts as we think of being together with family. But there is a family that is far more precious than, than our earthly families, a family that we should view as more precious than our earthly families. Yes, indeed. As much as we love our children, as much as we love our wives, our husbands, as much as we love our fellow family members, in terms of our earthly family, they cannot take precedence over God's family. In fact, Jesus made that abundantly clear when he said, If any man comes to me and does not hate, that is, love less, his father, mother, brother, sisters, wife, children, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. In other words, he cannot be a part of my family. Everything has to pale in comparison to God's family. That's how important it is. That's how precious it is. But this phrase in this beautiful hymn also reminds us that that family is comprised of only those who have been born again. No one who has not been born again is a part of that most precious of all families, the family of God. And yet, that brings the question to mind, well, what does it mean to be born again? I've mentioned before that if you're watching a, a sporting event on television and they pan the, uh, the crowd in the stadium or wherever, you may see someone uh, holding up a, a sign that says, uh, you must be born again, or John 3, 5, that, that scripture. And do you wonder what they mean by being born again? 
Well, tragically, most of the time, probably they mean that which is most prevalent in the religious world that is called or equated to being born again. And that is accepting Jesus as your personal Savior, as the expression goes, and praying the sinner's prayer. Brother Roger dealt beautifully with that. In fact, he did such a beautiful treatment of what it means to obey the gospel as he tied in uh, certain passages. If we go back to John chapter 3, where Jesus encountered Nicodemus, who came to him by night, Jesus discussed this very subject with him, being born again. In fact, he said in verse 3, I say unto you, most assuredly, there's the emphasis, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That is, he cannot enter the church. He cannot enter God's family. You cannot be a part of God's family unless you've been born again. But what does it mean to be born again? Nicodemus said, well, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And at verse 5, Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so Jesus gives us more information on what the new birth involves. It is a birth of water and the Spirit. That is, two elements in one birth. Born out of water, obviously baptism is under consideration here, according to the teaching of the Spirit. And in verse 7, Jesus emphasized the imperative nature of being born again when he said, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. So whatever the new birth is, it is an absolute necessity, otherwise we cannot be a part of God's family. And Jesus said the new birth is a birth out of water, that's clearly baptism, and the Spirit, and the Spirit's part is the teaching that teaches us to be born out of water. And it is the Spirit's teaching, not some direct operation of the Spirit that is involved. And we see more elaboration on that by another inspired writer, Peter, over in 1 Peter. In 1 Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter writes, since you have purified your souls, this is verse 22, since you have purified your souls, listen to it, in obeying the truth through the Spirit. There it is again, obeying the truth through the teaching of the Spirit. In sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Now listen to verse 23. Having been born again. So how were you born again? Peter tells these Christians how they were born again. You were born again by purifying your souls and obeying the what? The truth. And so now having been born again, and then he reiterates, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the what? The direct operation of the Holy Spirit? No, through the Word of God. So when Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born of water and the Spirit, he obviously meant you must be born out of the water of baptism as the Spirit teaches you to do that, according to the Word. And if we needed any further confirmation of what we're talking about here, or what the Bible means by the new birth, look at James 1 and verse 18. Of his own will he brought us forth, brought us forth, that sounds like, Baptism there, doesn't it? That sounds like obedience to the gospel, doesn't it? Of his own will, he brought us forth 
by the word of truth. Is that by the Spirit? Yes, but by the Spirit's teaching. So in passage after passage, we find clear explanation of what it means to be born again. It means to obey the gospel of Christ. It means to obey the truth. It means to bring one's life into compliance with the teaching of the Spirit through the inspired Word of God. What is that teaching? That teaching that puts one into the family of God. It is belief in Jesus as the Christ, John 8, 24. It is repentance of sin, Luke 13, 3. It is confession of the name of Christ before men, Matthew 10, 32. And it is baptism. That's the new birth, the culmination of the new birth, being born of water. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, Jesus said in Mark 16, 16. And then and only then does the Lord himself add us to the family because it's the family that's been born again. And that's what this beautiful hymn reminds us of. And if you're not a part of that family because you haven't been born again, it's our fervent prayer that this very day, this very hour will not pass until you've rendered the sweet obedience to the gospel that will allow you to be a part of the family. And then the further description of that is seen in this second phrase before us, part of the family whose love knows no end. Think about that. Whose love knows no end. Do we ever stop loving? Do we ever stop growing in our love for God, for one another, for fellow family members? And do we ever stop expressing that love? Do we ever stop showing that love? Are we always concerned about displaying the kind of attitudes that will stir one another up to love and good works themselves? Our love is to know no end. We're to be patient. We're to be long-suffering. We're to be loving because we're a part of the family that's been born again. We're a part of the family that supersedes any other familial relationship on this earth. And so our love knows no end. It reminds us of what Paul writes at the end of that great chapter on love in 1 Corinthians 13. Love never fails. And he says, but now abides faith, hope, love. And the greatest of these is love. Love never ends. And our love for God should not end, obviously. Nor should our love for one another. That reminds me too that our love knows no end when it comes to our compassionate efforts to bring back those who have left the fold. Wouldn't it have been wonderful if during this recent gospel meeting every lost sheep for whom we have prayed and with whom we have lovingly labored to bring home to God, wouldn't it have been wonderful if every one of them had responded to the gospel of Christ and been restored to their first love? Oh, what cause of rejoicing that would be. Does our love for them end? Never. Nor do our efforts to restore them end. And therefore, it is incumbent upon us, as we have talked about in lesson after lesson, to do everything we can, scripturally, as God has commanded us, to bring those precious lost souls home whom we love and whom we miss so much. And every member of the church should be cooperative and supportive of those efforts to do that very thing because they are scriptural efforts. They are efforts that are based upon love. Never forget what Jesus 
said through John in Revelation 3.19 to the church at Laodicea, as many as I, what? Love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. Our love for the lost can never end. Our love for the lost souls who've never obeyed the gospel can never end. And our love for the souls who have left us can never end. And every effort must be expended in order to bring them home. And it's an effort in which all of us should be involved with our prayers and with our admonitions, with every influence that we can exert to bring that happy conclusion about, if at all possible, part of the family whose love knows no end. And then we go on in the song, for Jesus has saved us and made us his own. Now tie that back to the phrase we just looked at, whose love knows no end, for, because, Jesus has saved us and made us his own. What this reminds us of is, is a biblical, biblical principle that we must never forget, and that is gratitude and love for the one who first loved us. Our love will never end. Our love will never end if we are a right-thinking part of the family of God because Jesus has saved us, because Jesus first loved us. As John reminds us in 1 John 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. He has made us his own. We are his own special people. Christ is our elder brother. God is our Father. And our love for God and Christ should be an unending love. But what about our love for our brothers and sisters who are in the family? Oh, yes. Again, a never-ending love. But we love because he first loved us. We love because, as 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 points out, we judge thus that if one died for all, then if he died, then he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them. The love of Christ, Paul says in that text, compels us, surrounds us, overwhelms us, because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. In other words, we died to sin through him, the vicarious death of Christ. Now that we continue to live, even though we've died to sin, for whom should we live? Christ and God. And out of what motive? Love. For Jesus has saved us and made us his own. Now we're part of the family that's on its way home. Do we think about that often? You know, as I mentioned in Bible class this morning, the closer we get to home, as we get older, the better our attitude should be because we're just about home now. We sure don't want to do anything to, to derail that situation. We want that journey to be complete. We want to be the kind of people that God would have us be in his family, encouraging one another, the older encouraging the younger, doing all that we can to build up the family so that we can all go home. Together. And then the beautiful chorus of this song reminds us that sometimes we laugh together and sometimes we cry. Sometimes we share together heartaches and sighs. And then it goes on, sometimes we dream together of how it will be when we all get to heaven, God's family.
you thought about those words? Did you sing them, think about them carefully the other night when you sang them if you were here? Sometimes we dream together. And that's what we should do. We should dream together. We should dream together of how it will be in heaven, but we should dream together as a congregation of how it will be a year from now, how it will be two years from now, how it will be five years from now, and determine that we're going to do everything we can to increase God's family here at White Oak. Despite whatever challenges we may have with a greater lack of interest generally among people today and fewer people who are interested in in the truth, they're still out there. Roger reminded us of that. They're still out there, and our responsibility, as he reminded us, is to try to get the gospel to every soul in Hamilton County and beyond as, as we can. And how pleased as God's family we ought to be that the kind of efforts are being made to do just that from this very congregation. How should we feel about the fact that virtually every household within short driving distance of, of this building receives the truth of the gospel every other month with house to house, heart to heart. They have an opportunity in a way that is not intimidating in the privacy of their own home to read Bible material that looks like it comes right from us, though we don't touch it from the standpoint of getting it distributed, but it's all tailored from White Oak. Several thousand homes, several thousand homes every other month. Are we praying about that? Are we thinking about that? Are we appreciative of that effort and praying that it will bring forth fruit? And how many people in Hamilton County do you believe have a television set? Probably 98%. It may be 100%. I don't know. Probably not, but pretty close. Pretty close. So if they have a television of any kind, then they get the gospel. Potentially, they have access to it every week. Every week. That's virtually all of Hamilton County. And what about those areas beyond that? What about the Internet? What about the fact that very soon we're just about to conclude... Brian has worked so hard and done so much for us in this regard. The operation by which we will be streaming our worship services live over the Internet. Wherever there is Internet access, people can actually join us in places where the church is non-existent and where families may be meeting on their own because there is no faithful church I mentioned before that when I was in a gospel meeting at the Brown Trail Church in the Dallas-Fort Worth area a few years back, they mentioned that they had a family up in the northeast somewhere where they did not have access to a congregation that was actually a part of the Brown Trail Church as they viewed themselves. They worshipped with the Brown Trail Church, sent their contribution to the Brown Trail Church, took the Lord's Supper as the Brown Trail Church did because they were live with them. That'll be the case here in just a matter of a short time. So what if good news today reaches an area where the church is non-existent yet where someone is able to obey the gospel and we can get them into Christ, then we can get them into White Oak in a sense. Maybe the best we can do for a while, but that's all on the immediate horizon. How often do we think about that and how does that affect our attitude? How does that affect the, 
the positive atmosphere that should exude from a congregation that is indeed concerned about the lost. And I could name several other mission efforts. You, you were here, many of you, when Peter Chin reported on the great work out of Four Seas College that is radiating through Southeast Asia with the men and women there training their women who to fulfill their role as teachers of children and other women, men to preach the gospel, and on and on we could go with the mission efforts that are now being undertaken by this congregation. And so, indeed, we laugh together, we cry together, but we dream together. And we dream together to help make God's dream a reality, if you will. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth, of the truth. That's God's dream. That's God's desire, that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We need to be participants in the dream of God and dream together. The second stanza says, sometimes we... Or when a brother meets sorrow, we all feel his grief. How many times have we been through the valley, as this song next tells us, with those who have lost loved ones? And how many wonderful, great soldiers of Christ we have lost from this congregation just since I have been here, soon to begin seven years. And many of you before that time are aware of those great soldiers who've gone on. And just this past week, with Wayman and Betty and their grief and their loss, we grieved with them. And when he passes through the valley, the song says, we all feel relief. In other words, you grieve, but as one good sister says, you go on. And God is good, as that same sweet sister says. And you have that faith and you keep going, but you, you love your brothers and sisters because they help you through. They help you through. They don't discourage, but they rather encourage. And that's what this song reminds us of. When a brother meets sorrow, we all feel his grief. Weep with those who weep, Paul wrote, and rejoice with those who rejoice. And when he's passed through the valley, we all feel relief. And then the next phrase, together in sunshine, together in rain, together in victory, through his precious name. And then that chorus again, sometimes we laugh together, sometimes we cry, sometimes we share together heartaches and sighs, sometimes we dream together of how it will be when we all get to heaven, God's family. And the final stanza then of this song, and though some go before us and some have, some of the dearest people on earth have gone before us and gone from us. But here's the beautiful hope. If those who went before us were a part of God's family that's been born again, and we remain a faithful part of that family, then we will meet again just inside the city as we enter in. And then the song continues, There'll be no more parting, with Jesus will be together forever.
God's family. And then that chorus once again. And sometimes we laugh together. Sometimes we cry. Sometimes we share together heartaches and sighs. Sometimes we dream together of how it will be when we all get to heaven. God's family. Now I wonder if you noticed something throughout this song that is vitally important to being the family that God wants us to be. Did you notice how many times the word together was used in this hymn? Together. I counted seven times that the word together is used in this great hymn. And how vitally important it is for us to see the importance of together, being together, being supportive, being encouraging. It's reminiscent of what we read about the early family of God, the first family, if you will, the first Jerusalem family, when the church first became God's family. Now all who believed, Acts 2.44 tells us, were together and had all things in common. They were together. And then when you turn over to Acts chapter 4 and verse 32, now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Then listen to Paul's admonition in Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5, the apostle Paul admonished togetherness, or rather chapter 15, I'm sorry. In Romans chapter 15, verses 5 and 6. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, listen to it, according to Christ Jesus. Like-mindedness, Paul tells us, is according to Christ Jesus. We must be like-minded according to Christ Jesus. That you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter reminds us, verse 9, of chapter 4, verse 9, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Be hospitable to one another. Do you see how many passage there, passages there are in Scripture that call upon the family to be a family? and to be together, and to be like-minded. Let us always labor, pray, that God's family here will be what God wants us to be, so that we can go home together when this life is over. If you haven't been born again, as we talked about in the early part of this lesson, you're not in a position to go home with those who have been born again. But that can all change. It can all change the moment you decide to change it by rendering sweet obedience 
in love to the one who's loved you so much that he's given his only begotten son to die in your place. And by believing in that Christ, the son of the living God, and acting upon that belief and repenting of your sins, confessing him to be the Christ, and then being buried with him in baptism, you too can become a part of God's family, cleansed by the blood of Christ, and on your way home to heaven. If you've known the joy that comes from obeying the gospel, as we've just outlined it from Scripture, and of being on your way home, but you know this morning that there's something that has kept you from having that same confidence you once had, that you've wandered, that you've sinned in a way to bring reproach upon God's family, in a public way, then confess it in that public way if you'll truly repent of it and confess it. Confess that you've sinned. God will forgive. We'll pray with you and for you. If it's a private matter, take care of it privately. But don't let anything, don't let anything keep you from ultimately going home together with the family of God. And so if you need to come home in order to be able to go home, we plead with you to do that this morning. As we stand to sing to encourage you, will you come?